What's up, Betabaxers? Welcome to Celluloid Fever Dreams. As always, I'm your host, the late, the great, the interstate, Wyndham Jennings. This week, we're looking at 2016's The Belco Experiment. Tagline, Office Hours Are Over. Written by James Gunn and directed by Greg McLean. As always, we begin the episode with our two-second synopsis. Workplace murder happens. Honestly, the basic plot doesn't really go much beyond that. A group of office workers find themselves locked inside the building while a mysterious voice over the PA system orders them to kill a set number of employees within a certain time limit or the company is going to detonate microbombs they've implanted in the base of the skull of everyone in the building. Uh, before we go any further, I want to give you a little bit of a warning, should you choose to watch this one. Uh, it is very violent. It uh, has a lot of blood in it, and they don't really uh, clean up any of the bodies of anybody that gets killed, either through a bomb or uh, some other means. A lot of uh, blood and uh, well, former people scattered all throughout the building and uh, the majority of the film. I saw one comment online that said it was Office Space meets... Um, Battle Royale, the uh, Japanese film from, what was it, like 2000, 2001, where the uh, high school students have to fight it down until there's only one left. James Gunn said the idea for the film uh, came to him in a dream. He actually saw the building, uh, saw it getting locked down, and heard the uh, mysterious voice telling everyone that they had so, you know, had a, a certain set amount of time in order to kill a set amount of employees, or they were just going to kill everyone in the building. He was originally set to direct the film, but due to uh, various commitments and uh, personal issues, including a divorce, he had to pull out of it, and so the film was scrapped for several years. And then he was contacted again see, uh, to be asked if he wanted to make it now, if he had time, and he said he wasn't interested in directing something like this. Uh, he didn't know if he could keep himself in the right mindset uh, to keep up with the amount of violence and uh, you know, blood spatter there is all throughout the script, but he said he'd come on as a producer as long as he retained creative control. Uh, Gunn has been the writer on such films as Tromeo and Juliet, The Specials, uh, both Scooby-Doo live-action films, Slither, The Guardians of the Galaxy films for uh, Marvel, the most recent version of the Suicide Squad for Warner Brothers, and the Rain Wilson uh, flick Super. The director that was brought on is Greg McLean, and uh, Gunn's on record as saying that he thought it was a very excellent choice for this type of film. McLean uh, made his name on the Wolf Creek films, an Australian horror uh, set in the outback following a serial killer tracking down backpackers and tourists who travel through the area. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, right before I started, right before I watched this film and started doing the research on it and found out who Greg McLean was, I uh, was listening to a podcast series where they were talking about Wolf Creek and the actual crimes in Australia that served as inspiration for the character, uh, main character in the film and the film itself. Weird little coincidence. Besides Wolf Creek, McLean has directed Rogue, which is about a alligator attacking some people on an island that's flooding, The Darkness, the Daniel Radcliffe film Jungle, 
and the TV series The Gloaming. Um, you know, I'm going to be honest, I haven't seen a lot of McLean's films. I've seen just about everything that uh, Gunn has done, but uh, I hadn't really seen anything done by McLean outside of Wolf Creek, which I, I enjoyed if, if uh, you're, you're interested in a horror film you know, sort of grounded in reality, you know, no supernatural killers, just an evil person hunting down, uh, you know, people in the wilderness, uh, definitely check it out. I, I, I got to recommend it. Uh, but having said that, I do wonder uh, how different this film would have been if James Gunn had directed it or if McLean, well, or if, if Gunn hadn't retained creative control and McLean had a little bit more of a hand uh, in the film. I'm not saying it's a bad film, but it, there are times that it's not sure kind of what direction it wants to go. There's some dark comedy in it, uh, you know, which you can expect out of a James Gunn film. But there there are moments in this film that it feels know, a little odd or a little out of place. And uh, I, I think that comes from McLean because he, he does he does a you know good good action film, you know, good scary film. Uh yeah, I, I think this is right up his alley, but I, I do kind of wonder, uh, watching the film, if he was really comfortable you know, with Gunn's dark humor moments. Uh, it, you know, there's just some some moments of uneven tone, like the movie's not sure whether it's supposed to be a dark comedy or a really dark uh, thriller horror type film. Uh, one thing I will say before we dive too much deeper into it is I really enjoyed the soundtrack on the film. Uh, I'm I'm someone who's kind of a sucker for weird cover songs or uh or I guess interesting would be be another word for it you know the two cellos type stuff or uh, if you're on YouTube Leo uh, I think is Moricelli I think I'm pronouncing that right where he does heavy metal covers of pop songs I'm uh, I'm kind of a sucker for when filmmakers or or a television show sneak in stuff like that like catching like catching uh, Soundgarden songs being played in the saloon in Westworld, things like that. And this film uh, pulls that off, and, and it's I, I really enjoyed it. I love when it shows everybody going into work and they're having to pass through the security checkpoint. And it, it, I liked it because it's one of those moments that took me a second to figure out the song because it's in Spanish. But it's a, a man doing... In my opinion, I mean, I don't speak Spanish, but I really enjoy listening to him do a cover of I Will Survive. Uh, you know, not only because he has a, a good voice, even like I said, I don't understand the words and I love the music to it and recognized it, you know, after it hit a certain point. I'm like, I know this music and I, I under, know the rhythm of what he's singing. But again, honestly, you're going into this film, everybody has to kill each other and you're leading off with I Will Survive. And a, a, like a sneaky hidden version of it, it's not the one everybody, you know, recognizes immediately. So it, you know, kind of plays into the whole thing of they're going into work with no idea of what's getting ready to happen to them once they're inside the building. Later on in the film, we're treated to a very beautiful rendition of the Mama and Papa song, California Dreamin', again in Spanish, but it plays behind a massacre scene as the upper management decides they're going to kill the requisite number of people in order to save themselves and the rest of the employees. And everybody's running and screaming as several guys just fire shots in random directions. And so this really sweet, beautiful song playing underneath all this carnage, 
uh, it's honestly one of my favorite sequences in the film, and I'm not really sure what that says about me as a person, but I'm not taking that back. Another thing I like about the movie is just about the entire cast is made up of actors and actresses that are the, you know, oh yeah, that person from that thing, actors and actresses, you know, the character actors. So there's no one that really stands out as, oh yeah, they're definitely going to survive to the end or they're going to be the hero you know, right off the bat. You know, we're introduced to several of them in quick succession as everybody shows up to work. Uh, in in fact, honestly, uh, the biggest star in it, probably the one of the uh, couple that I knew by name right away, Michael Rooker, bit of a spoiler, is actually the first one that gets killed off. Well, when the killings start, he's the first one uh, killed off. Uh, the only other one I recognized, well, by name, right off the bat, like I said, the whole cast is full of people that you know you'll know from other things. Is uh, Wendell, who's played by John C. McGinley, who you either know from Scrubs as Dr. Cox or from the film Office Space. He plays one of the uh, upper management members of the company, and it's also revealed that he and the company CEO, Barry, is, are uh, former special forces. And if you're thinking that gives them a little bit of an advantage over everyone else as the film progresses, you'd be right. Backing up a little bit, uh, those of you who might not know Michael Rooker by name, he was Yondu in the Guardians of the Galaxy films. He's also been in uh, Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer, where he played Henry, and was also in the James Gunn film Slither. Uh, in this film, he plays the maintenance man, head of maintenance, who's trying to figure out a way to bring the steel shutters down so everyone can escape. His assistant is played by David, I hope I'm pronouncing this last name right, it's David Dastmal... Yeah. David Dastmalchian, who uh, most recently was seen in James Gunn's uh, Suicide Squad playing Polka Dot Man. But uh, as I've said before, the film just starts off with like your typical workplace, introducing the characters, showing some of the relations, showing the new girl uh, you know, getting her first work assignment, and then the whole building locks down, steel shutters roll up, covering all the doors out, leading outside, all the windows leading outside uh and all of the except for the guy in the lobby all of the security personnel outside the building have been replaced by heavily armed uh mercenaries and that's when a voice informs them that they have two hours to kill two employees or they will kill or the company will kill four employees to make up for them you know not following orders it turns out that the tracking chip that the that the uh, company implanted in the neck, well, the base of the skull of everyone who works there, is actually a bomb that they can detonate remotely. Uh, of course, no one takes this seriously, and so two hours later, four people have the back of their heads blown off in front of everyone. The voice that informs them that they have two hours to kill 30 people, or they're going to detonate 60 bombs. Now... There's, I think, 80 people that work in the building at the beginning, so they're down to 78. So in uh, two hours, there's either going to be 48 of them alive, or there's going to be 18 of them alive. No, no, sorry. They're down to 76, because they killed four. So there's either going to be 46 alive, or 16 alive. And this causes a division in all the employees, as people argue both for and against killing 30 of their co-workers. 
Barry, the CEO of the company, who's played by Tony Goldwyn, who you can find in such films as Ghost, The Last Samurai, Kiss the Girls, and The Pelican Brief, as well as providing the voice for Disney's Tarzan, and uh, also on TV and the, the uh, show Scandal, uh, is, is the one kind of leaning towards the, hey, let's pick 30 people. Uh, and his argument is, yeah, it, it's wrong that we need to kill 30, but if we don't kill 30, they're going to kill 60. So we're really killing 30 people to save 30 people. And of course, the other argument is, you know, people saying, no, it, it's wrong for us to kill at all. It's better to take our chances and wait. And, you, you know, you never know. You might wind up being one of these 17 that's, survives what employee mike who's played by john gallagher jr who's appeared in such films as 10 cloverfield lane hush jonah hex and pieces of april points out that if the company is willing to kill them seal them in the building and kill them at random that at the end of the day none of them are going to survive because they can't take the chance that anyone would ever tell the outside world that this happened to begin with his girlfriend, Leandra, who's played by Adria Arjona, who's been in such films as Pacific Rim Uprising, Six Underground, Morbius, and on television in Good Omens and uh, Emerald City, is kind of on the fence. She sees the advantages to both arguments. She keeps telling Mike that no, she's not sure if she could kill you know another employee or even pick somebody to be killed. But she understands the reasoning behind what Barry's saying, kill 30 to save 30. Even while acknowledging that Mike's probably right and none of them are going to survive this. Mike is backed up by Evan, the security guard, the only one that's still working there that was part of Belco. Played by James Earl, who's been in such films as Fired Up and Gridiron Gang. And refuses to give Barry the key to the weapons locker. Uh, And of course our final main character is Danny, who this is her first day on the job. Played by Melanie Diaz, who's been in such films as Raising Victor Vargas, Lords of Dog, Lords of Dogtown, English, uh, Lords of Dogtown, Assassination of a High School President, Gringo, Be Kind, Rewind, and uh, most recently starred in the Charmed reboot on the CW. And uh, she picks the strategy of hiding. Now the uh, the whole situation in the film is basically a variation of what in philosophical terms is known as the trolley experiment or sometimes the trolley paradox. Don't worry, I'm not a big fan of philosophy. I'm more into the physical sciences. But this film is a really good example of that problem, you know, kind of addressing what is the moral response to the voice's demands. Now, in the the trolley experiment, what it is, is there's a runaway trolley or runaway train, however you want to put it, on a track and if it's not diverted it can't be stopped in time if it's not diverted it will kill five people who are stuck on the track and can't get out of the way before the trolley hits them you however are standing at the switch that can divert the trolley and save these five people but there is one person on the other track that you divert it to that will be killed if you divert the train so you know the question is what do you do? And I'm not going to do a deep dive into all of the things I've seen online written about the problem. I'm not that big of a student of philosophy, but 
it, it's kind of a similar situation. It's like, do you stand and do nothing and let five people die, but the one person live, or do you actively switch the train knowing you're going to kill one person, but you wind up saving five people? Yeah, so this is what the uh, survivors so far in the film are dealing with. Uh, you know, like Barry says, do we risk, you know, do we let 60 people die through inaction uh, or do we actively kill 30 people and, you know, in a, you know, in our own way, save a, an additional 30? Uh, yeah, and I got to admit, honestly, it's a hard question to contemplate, even going back to the trolley experiment where it's five versus one it's you know there there is really no right answer uh, me myself trying to work it out just the trolley problem i'm not sure what i do in, in the the situation like the belco building from my point of view uh, whether you throw the switch or not you're making the decision to kill people you know if it even if it's in action even if you just let the trolley run over the five you made that decision and so there's part of me, it's like, well, I'd have to throw the switch. I mean, I don't want to kill somebody either way, but I could probably live easier with one person's death on my hands, knowing that I saved five people rather than just standing there and just letting something happen. Does that mean I agree with Barry and uh, Wendell who you know start going on a killing spree, trying to get rid of 30 employees in order to save the other 30? Uh, not necessarily. I'm, I'm kind of like Mike, uh, you know, I, when he brought the point up of none of us are going to survive this. I, I kind of saw the point of that. And it's like, so what do we do? And, and you know, I got to say, I think that is one of the things that the film doesn't really delve a lot into. Yeah. You know, after the uh, initial discussion, Barry and Wendell and a few of the other guys just basically decide that no, they're, they're going to kill 30 people. And, you know, Barry just comes up with the uh, metrics for, you know, okay, these are the ones that we're going to, to get rid of. And, you know, these are the ones that we're going to let live. And, you know, I guess on some level you could see their actions and the way they separate the employees out, uh, you know, starting with those who are over the age of 60. You could, you know, see the whole film as a, I don't know, a, a treatise on the disposability of the American worker compared to upper management, you know, because Barry and Wendell are pretty high up in the company. Most of the people who join their team saying that, no, we need to kill 30 people are also in management in the company. And like I said, they start with the, uh, you know, ones who are close to retirement age as the ones that need to get rid of. And then they start working through, you know, like Mike, you know, somebody who questioned their authority. Uh, you know, some of the women, uh, you know, some of the workers who, they just don't like uh, you know, some of the workers who are non-white. Oh yeah, that that's the other thing. You know, of course, Wendell and Barry and and everyone who's deciding. No, we, yeah, we need to cut these people loose. Are all the powerful straight white men in the company? Uh, but they're not, you know, like beating you over the head with the message. There, there's not like you know anyone blatantly pointing out what they're doing or et cetera. You just get to infer all this from the uh, actions of Barry and his cohorts and paying attention, you know, and of course, in in this film, just like in every film or, or, or in every uh, company where they start downsizing like crazy at the, uh, towards the end of it, it's just every person for themselves. Uh, having said that though, for such a huge cast in a film, uh, like I said, I've, I've covered the 
you know, people that they tended to focus on, but there's a ton of little supporting characters. Uh, you know, McLean and Gunn did a really good job of making us feel for the majority of the people in the office building. You know, each, you know, of course, there's always going to be the faceless deaths, the, the people you don't really know anything about, but they do manage to introduce and give a, a humanity to enough of the minor characters or the background characters that it really, you know, you, you really do feel it when these people either, you know, get shot or you see their bombs go off or, you know, something else happened to them. So, you know, I got to give the movie a thumbs up for that, for such a huge cast and for, uh, you know, a running time of, you know, I think it's just a little over 90 minutes, if I remember correctly. They do manage to, uh, you know, convey a lot of information uh, about a good chunk, good majority, you know, a good chunk of the uh, people in the building so that it's not just, you know, mindless, oh, I don't know who that was, uh, you know, blood and carnage. And you know, that's, that's a route that would have been so easy to do, just you focus on the five or six main characters and everyone else is just a number. Uh, and so I'd really do like the fact that they took the time that even somebody that, you know, you, you may have heard their name in one scene or they may only have a couple of scenes, but, you know, you see them get taken out and it does bother you a little more than just, oh, it's, you know, another murder in the film. Having said that, though, like I said, some of the humor in the film just fell flat to me. The uh, it, There's a lot of good humor drawn from the characters and their situation. But then again, there's also James Gunn, who has a small role as a stoner janitor in the film. Uh, and honestly, you could cut the whole cut that whole character and, and everything they do out. And uh, it, it'd probably be a better film, actually. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm generally not a cruel person, but um, I, out of the the cast, out of the main cast, uh, you know, Mike and Leandra, Barry, Wendell, Evan, his character had the most screen time outside of them, and I honestly couldn't tell you what the character's name is, and I'm not even gonna bother to look it up. He's the stoner. He's the generic stoner who's you know seen smoking in the stalls before his shift starts and his whole arc and and everything he did he's one of, he's probably the only character uh, outside of Wendell and Barry that I was glad to see get killed he just annoyed me at every one of his scenes and I just didn't find him that funny uh, and honestly I will say that I, I think if McLean had cut some of that out and just been allowed to run a little darker like he did with the Wolf Creek films, this would probably be a much better film. Uh, probably at least better known, probably would have done better at, at the uh, box office and what have you. Uh, because there are some weird tonal shifts in the film. You know, you'll go from a really intense uh, you know, fight between two people just both trying to survive and, and one of them get taken out to uh, you know, James Gunn's stoner janitor knocking over the water coolers and screaming none of it's real it's all some kind of psychedelic they put in the water uh and and then just stomping off and then you're back to this really grim uh you know fight for fight for your life movie so having said that let's go ahead and try to answer the most important question of all was it entertaining yeah i mean i really enjoyed the film uh, like there's some weird tonal shifts there's 
at least one character that I didn't feel was necessary. But having said that, for such a huge cast, for it all to be you know contained within one building, uh, and to make you know to have have them make you care about the you know as, as much of the cast as you did in the runtime. I, I, I gotta say it's a fun movie they did a good job with it i liked the story uh even the ending i liked the ending i thought it was a really good cast the soundtrack's good the cinematography and it's uh well done it, you know if you can handle the uh the violence and the blood it's definitely worth checking out it's a pretty good i guess thriller horror action kind of film you know, it kind of falls in uh, along the same lines as films like Exam or Mayhem or Severance. You know, all all films along the similar theme as this one. Okay, so we've gone kind of dark in terms of film for the last two or three episodes. I mean, I know Eagle versus Shark is a unromantic comedy, but it went in some dark places as well. So how about for our next film... We go with something kind of light and campy and fun, kind of like a palate cleanser before we uh, before we dive into some uh, dive into the rest of the year. And what's that going to be? Well, let's go from 2016 all the way back to 2001 with Josie and the Pussycats. I, I, I mean, honestly, I'm not sure I could go tonally any further away from this film uh, than that one a live-action adaptation of the Saturday morning cartoon show and the Archie comic starring Rachel Lee Cook, Rosario Dawson, and Tara Reed. So that's going to wrap it up. I uh, want to thank you for letting me be part of your day and listening to me ramble on for a little bit about movies and uh, hope that you have a good week until we get together again. Hope you come back. Remember, if you like what you heard, tell a friend. If you didn't, tell an enemy. If you get a chance to, leave me some stars or a rating at whatever site that you download or listen to me through. If you'd like to hear more from me or interact with me, you can find me on Twitter at CFeverDreams. You can find me on Letterboxd at Wyndham Jennings. You can find me at uh, TikTok and Instagram at Celluloid Fever Dreams. But until then, remember, there's a lot of things you can choose to be in life. Kind is one of the better ones, especially to yourself, because you matter. And this has been Celluloid Fever Dreams. I have been your host, Wyndham Jennings. And uh, until next time, I'll be saving a seat for you. You guys have a good night. <laughs>